Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. If you could travel back in time to William Carey's cottage in England at the end of the 18th century, you would discover that he had an interesting style of interior decoration. All the walls were plastered with maps and other information on far-flung countries. Carey was obsessed with getting the gospel to those who hadn't received it. In his particular Baptist context, this was an oddity at the time. People used to argue along the lines of, God knows who he is going to save and he'll save them in his own good time. Carey's response was to agree, but to add that God had ordained preaching as the means by which his elect would be reached. How could they respond unless they heard? Carey became a pastor in 1789 and three years later wrote a book called An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. This book and Carey's efforts led to the formation of the Baptist Missionary Society. Shortly afterwards, Carey, his wife Dorothy and their children sailed to India. Dorothy Carey's story is a tragic one that highlights tensions in missionary families and the culture of the time. Dorothy did not want to go to India and was pregnant with their fourth child. She had also shown some signs of mental instability. At the last minute, she was persuaded to join her husband, knowing that if she didn't, she would probably never see him again in an era when sailing to India took seven months. Subsequently, unable to make the adjustment to life in India, she went insane and died, Kerry looking after her at home rather than committing her to an asylum. This tension in missionary marriages is by no means restricted to the Careys, even if later cultures would probably deal with it differently. On arriving in India, Kerry undertook employment as a manager while translating the New Testament into Bengali, which took several years. Seven years after arriving, they saw their first conversion, and as Hindus became Christians, the question of marrying across caste divisions arose and soon dealt with as marrying across caste became normal. Translations of the whole Bible into Bengali, Sanskrit and other languages, many of which had never been printed before, came from the printing press. And despite losses to a destructive fire, during Carey's lifetime, Bible portions were printed in 44 dialects. Carey has called Father of Modern Missions for several key principles that are so widely held today, we wonder why anyone would ever have thought differently. One, preach the gospel by any available method. This was innovative because in 18th century England, certain methods were seen as proper, like inside churches, and others weren't. Two, produce and distribute the Bible in native languages. This was innovative because the current thinking was to import Western language and culture. Three, establish a church as soon as possible. Innovative because it bypassed normal processes. Four, study in depth the local culture and religions. Why do this when we want them to leave them behind? Five, train indigenous ministers as soon as possible. And surely men from Oxford and Cambridge would be more reliable. Like many missionaries since, William Carey was innovative, focused to the point of obsession, and his family paid a great price in spreading the gospel. Carey's motto was, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. What is our level of expectation? What is God stirring you to attempt for him? It's just uh, an incredible man 
who sacrificed, um, who took steps of courage and obedience, just kept saying yes to Jesus even though there was sacrifice and pain and, and difficulty. And he left a legacy that lasts uh, for generations and made an incredible impact in India and for the gospel. And we're actually going to hear a little bit more about that. We're blessed that we're going to have a couple of people come and give some testimony. So I'd like to invite Jess and Shanti up on the stage as they share a little bit with us. So why don't you welcome them? Fantastic. Shanti, we're going to hear from you first. So thank you very much. Okay, good evening, everyone. I want to thank God uh, for this opportunity and also for the pastoral team, especially Sue Ford, for giving me this platform and allowing me to share my testimony. Tonight, I will be talking about a missionary story close to my family who lived uh, during William Carey's era. William Carey went to North India, whereas this missionary came to South India. When looking at my husband's uh, husband Chris, Chris's family tree, he is the eighth generation Christian. And on my side, I'm the fifth generation Christian. My testimony is about my husband's great, 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 great grandfather, Isaac Billay, how he accepted Christ and lived according to his word. He lived during the 1700s and was a landlord. Those days, landlords had many concubines which means mistresses in present-day terms. As a result, he was considered a wealthy man in society. During his time, the first Protestant missionary, Bartholomew Ziegenbalk, was sent by King Frederick IV from Denmark to go to Trankuba in Tamil Nadu. He was the first missionary who brought the printing press by ship and translated the New Testament into Tamil by learning my language. Ziegenbalk would conduct uh, church services in the open, under trees, and started to notice that there was a lot of locals who would attend his service, which was encouraging to him. One day, Ziegenbalk approached Isaac Billay, who was uh, my husband's great ex-time great-grandfather, and asked him whether he could build a church on his property. Isaac was fine with the request because in those days, Hindus thought it would bring fortune and good luck to the family. He even assisted him by providing material and manual help to build the church. Once the church was built, Isaac visited occasionally and slowly became friends with the missionary Ziegenbach. Over time, his visits became frequent and soon it was he became a committed member. One day, Ziegenbach questioned Isaac, do you think God will be pleased with your lifestyle? Aren't you hurting your wife? Isaac was shocked because back then, it, was, it wasn't considered as a sin to have multiple relationships. Even the Hindu gods had three or four wives. This question intrigued Isaac and made him want to know more about this foreign god. So he started reading the New Testament and slowly realized that the true God expects you to live a holy life. He then made a decision to repent and accept Christ. 
This resulted in him dividing the property to give some to his concubines and changed his lifestyle to lead a holy life before God and his wife. The fascinating part of this story is that Siegenbald must have prayed for the right time, waited patiently, was not judgmental, and asked for God's guidance to speak the truth at the right moment. This story has been passed on from generation to generation because Christianity brought freedom and hope to our family. As Indian Christians, we are grateful to the European missionaries for giving us education, building hospitals, bringing social reforms, and above all, Christianity to India. My grandfather used to tell me when I was a little girl that we talk to God through prayer, but God communicates to us through his word, the scriptures. He encouraged me to read the Bible every day. Missionaries gave us Christ and gave us the tools to build a relationship with the God with God through the word. Only reason missionaries came to India was they loved God and they were obedient to the word. Thank you. Wow. That's an, it's an amazing story that just reminds us uh, of the ripple effect of obedience. We never know what impact we're going to make saying yes to Jesus. Jess, why don't you share with us? So my name is Jess, and I'm here to talk about the recent mission trip that Jonathan led to India. So Jonathan actually approached me the year before last about coming to India on the mission trip and teaching at the Bible College. I was interested and intrigued and knew this would be something amazing to be a part of, but was also unsure. I had some fears and doubts about going to India, not only the thought of getting sick, but the fact I'd never taught classes before and didn't really see myself as a teacher. I guess I doubted in what I had to offer and how I could really value add anything to this trip. I put my leave form in at work and thought if it got approved, I would go, and if it didn't, then that would be my answer. In the end, there were some complications and my leave didn't actually get approved and I didn't end up going. To be honest, a part of me was a bit relieved, um, but I also had this sense of uneasiness. I knew deep down that I was disappointed in myself and I knew I hadn't really given it 100%. Later, I heard how amazing the trip was and how incredible and everyone enjoyed it and the impact that the trip had. And I knew that I'd missed an opportunity. And I hadn't just missed an opportunity, but I hadn't even really appreciated the fact that I had this opportunity and didn't grab it with both hands. And I knew that I should have gone. As I was reflecting about this and thinking about not taking this opportunity that was presented based on my own fears and my own insecurities... I realised that I'd fallen into this place where I was following Jesus but also making my own plans and plans that fitted in with my comfort, um, fitted in my fears and my capabilities. So plans that were basically somehow within my control. After acknowledging and realising this, I decided to challenge myself and decided that 2018 would be the year of the yes and that whatever opportunities came my way that would normally scare me or question what I really had to offer or contribute I would take them, and not because I thought I was capable in any way, but because I knew that God had a plan and that I simply just needed to say yes and trust him and be ready to step out. You've got to love Jonathan for his persistence, and once again he approached me about coming to India, and this time I agreed and I made it happen. I was still just trusting God, not really certain of what I had to offer. I remember looking at the list of subjects to teach and telling Jonathan, 
I don't really think that I'll be able to teach any of these subjects, but I also knew that this is where I was to be and I needed to trust in the one who had placed me here, remembering that I wasn't relying on myself and my personal abilities or capabilities, but in the one who had placed me here. As all of this was happening, for those who don't know, I work at Baptist Churches Western Australia as the event coordinator and look after Green Team. The induction that we run for our volunteers has always been led by an external person and I really felt that I was being called to lead this and share what I felt had been placed on my heart for Green Team. I struggled with this comparing myself to a professional trainer but knowing this was the year of the yes and that whatever opportunities came my way, I'll just trust him and do it. I led the induction and Jonathan actually came to this induction and through coming to this induction and after this induction, Jonathan then decided to create a community outreach and event management class for me to teach at the college. I was kind of surprised when Jonathan told me about this that a Bible college would be interested in doing a practical unit or a unit which people don't overly recognise but excited at the prospect and couldn't believe that it was an option and something that I could potentially do. I began thinking about the class and what I could share in the three sessions that I had, not wanting to get stuck too much on the theory side, which can be lost in translation, and not really wanting to focus on just the fun side of events, the activities and the excitement, but how we can really use events to create unity, to build relationships and community, to share the message and to create awareness for certain topics. For me, I believe that there is so much power in events if you want there to be. I wanted a clear message that whatever event these people organise after this, it's important that they found it on something greater than just the activities themselves. As I was thinking about this and preparing this, Jonathan asked if anyone wanted to run the games night, which would be the first interaction we had with the students for all of us, and we would meet them. I put my hand up thinking that this is potentially something that I could actually do. I began thinking of games and got Tom, Tom on board with me to help out And I wasn't really sure how they'd receive the games or understand the games, given I'd never been before. But they absolutely loved it, to the point where they approached Jonathan to organise another games night while we were there. I asked Jonathan if it would be a potential opportunity for the class that I was teaching, community outreach and event management, to run this games night, thinking that this would be an opportunity for them to put what they've learned into practice, to work as a team, to support and encourage each other and also build their confidence and empowering them, giving the confidence so that they know that they can actually do it. And as usual, Jonathan was very excited at the prospect and (laughs) made it happen. And when I first told the students, I wasn't actually sure if they understood what I had said because they were just looking around at each other, they looked a bit confused, felt a bit awkward, some giggles. And then I told them again, not sure if they actually understood, just to make sure we're all on the same page And then I realised that they understood, but they were so nervous about running this event and this games night, and so unsure and insecure in themselves, which reminded me of myself when I first agreed to come on this mission trip. We then did a case study on a different event that I organised with a focus on roles and responsibilities, and after we finished the case study, we talked about the first event that we were going to do together. We broke down roles, responsibilities, and gave something to everyone to own. Um, At first, they had huge ideas when we kicked off. They wanted a worship band, similar to a promotional video that I had showed them, all of this crazy stuff, lights, everything. And I reminded them that, yeah, you can do that, but this is your event. So whatever you want, you can do. You have to make it happen. Um, So then expectation versus reality kicked in pretty quick. 
and the band got dropped. But in all honesty, they did an incredible job organising everything for the games night. It was a blessing to see how much they grew in themselves in just two days, seeing them own this event and seeing their confidence grow, seeing them laughing together and working together and just working as a team. In the following class, we did a debrief, we did a SWOT analysis, so we talked about the strengths and the weaknesses, opportunities and threats, and here I was expecting them to be quiet like, and shy like they were in the other classes, but no, they were so excited, they were so excited to look at the opportunities that they could use for similar events back in their own communities. So many suggestions, such as raising money for orphanages or creating awareness for orphanages, creating awareness about environmental issues and the side effects of waste. Um, just to break down cult, like religious and cultural barriers between the Christians and Muslims and the Hindus. And someone even suggested political awareness. But it was so clear that they were seeing the real potential in event and not just focused on the game itself. A highlight for me was hearing them talking about the unity, the event that they organised created within the college and how much they enjoyed working with others and helping others. Bearing in mind, these were fourth-year students, many who had been in classes together for four years and had never really interacted with each other like this before. I could see they had a newfound respect for each other, and when they discussed what they wanted to do when they left college, they were genuinely interested in what others were doing, more, most wanting to do youth or children's ministry. It was like within the four years of sitting next to each other, they had never actually built a relationship or discussed anything that they wanted to do when they were finishing study, which is probably similar to the people you're sitting next to. But not wanting to get too carried away and excited about how much energy they had for this and how excited they were, I was thinking that I'd given them tools and ideas and that when we left, that would be it. And that was the first social night and the last social night until Jonathan heads back next year. But little did we know that they actually organised an event, they had a sports day, they got uniforms, they had trophies, and it's already come and gone and we've only been back for a week. So they were so excited and they took it on board and they did it. So it's crazy just to look back a few months ago where I wasn't even sure what I'd be teaching, but still feeling like I should go on this trip and how all along God knew that this was a practical tool and skill that they could use in their college community and in their wider community as well. Jonathan did an amazing job leading this trip and providing so many practical elements for the students. Um, I really encourage you to chat to everyone who went because they've all got an amazing story of um, what they did and how that impacted the students. So thank you, Jonathan, for helping us out. Fantastic. I think I speak for the entire team when we say that we are grateful that you said yes you actually agreed to come. You know, church, we undervalue what it is that God can do in and through us. And it is Him. It's not us. It's actually all Him. Paul says that in our weaknesses, God's strength is actually made perfect. And obedience so often brings us to that place where we're stepping out in faith, stepping out into the unknown, and it brings us to that place of thinking, man, I don't know if I can do this, but actually that's exactly where God wants us. This is the final or the conclusion of our summer Sundays. Did you enjoy it in the last four weeks? Oh, wow, that sounds really amazing response. Did you enjoy it for the, in the last four weeks? Yeah. And so tonight, can't believe it, January is finished. It's the final Sunday of January. Let me just push this cable a little bit. I don't want to trip. And, uh, and we have uh, our final uh, summer Sundays tonight, and the theme is obedience. And that's what I will be talking to you about. 
And as you know, and Dan mentioned uh, to all of us tonight that the team just arrived last Sunday night, a Sunday morning, uh, from India for our short-term mission trip. And, and so I actually dropped here this morning because I was at Kubi in the morning to preach. I dropped the kids and I saw four kind of older women in the foyer sitting down. And I was like, oh, Jonathan, how was the trip to India? And I said, it was fantastic. And one of the ladies, she's probably about 70 or 80 year old who asked me the question. He then follow, she then followed by asking me, so what, do you, what product do you use for your hair? <laughs> Just completely off tangent. It's like, which conversation do I want to continue? Like the, the very thing that, how was India? Or what product do you use for your hair? And I said to her, what do you use? And she goes, oh, I use gel. Oh, sorry, no, I use uh, mousse. And I go, ooh, my hairdresser said mousse is not good for you. And she goes, why? Oh, there's so much alcohol in it. And I go, okay, so what do you use? I said, I use wax. Because apparently there's more of like oil based or something. Does it stay up all day? And I said, yes, it does. And so she tried to touch it. And I go, no, you're not allowed to touch my hair. That was my morning. Anyway, so I told her about India, and I told her how fantastic the trip was, and, and it was really uh, amazing how the Lord uh, used the team. And I said that uh, the whole 12 days, 14 days that we were in India, three of the team members got sick. But the beauty of it all, because we had a bigger team, no teaching ministry opportunity was actually compromised because other people were able to step in. Isn't God good? So no compromises there. No classes were kind of affected by it all because somebody was just able to, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do this. And, and just really stepped in. And we just went on as they were recovering. You know, uh, one was like, took, took her about like four or five days to recover really from this, this gastro. Now, I'm not saying that to discourage you. It is fantastic. As you can see, my outfit is very regal. And I thought, now I know why Indians love their big clothes and so many fabric. What a waste of fabric. And I realized that when I was there, that it's their way of disguising the curries and the weight that you put on over time. You know, when you just kind of like eat so much, it was like, that's the way to go. I'm going to wear that. And, and so here I am in my costume. And so tonight, I want to share with you the theme of obedience, because I believe that obedience is the key to whatever it is that God will and can accomplish in each of our lives. In fact, disobedience have the opposite impact and consequences in our lives if we don't obey. And so uh, I can't help it but be drawn to a passage of Scripture which I'll be sharing with you tonight, and that is found in 1 Samuel 15, verses 17 to 26. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go, and, compl- and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on a mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekite- Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, 
and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me, so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Now this passage of scripture was actually very significant in the life of King Saul. When, when God sent Samuel to say to Saul, Saul, this is what the word of the Lord says. And the Lord is asking you to go and basically kill the Amalekites. Men, women, children, uh, possessions, cattle, sheep, goats, everything. Don't leave anything. Kill them. And when you read that, you probably go, how can such a loving, compassionate, merciful God give such a command to King Saul to do and wipe out a whole tribe, a whole clan of people? And the reason why I say that this instruction to King Saul was significant because this very thing at this point in time in the reign of King Saul, whether he could make it or break it. It was a a make it or break it kind of episode in his life. And as we can see that uh, the the obedience played a very important role in the way that Saul responded to God. And so tonight I want to share with you three key principles of obedience. And you might say, what is, what is obedience? Obedience is basically following, submitting, surrendering to someone who is an authority above you. So if, if, we're, if we're talking about the, the king and queen of England, if, if, they give you, if they give an order to a servant, the servant actually have no option to say no. Why? Because it is coming from authority. So they have no option other than to obey. Because if they don't, that would be considered insubordination. Obedience, the first principle I want to share with you is that obedience, not sacrifice, is what God most desires. Obedience, not sacrifice, is what God desires. What does it mean? It means that doing exactly what God is asking us to do. In the case of King Saul, it was very clear. The instruction was, go and kill the the Amalekites. Every single one of them. Men, women, children, everything. And you might say, wow. Why? Why is that? Well, let me give you a little bit of background as I investigated and did a bit more reading about this. It's actually recorded in Exodus chapter 17. And this is the background of of God's command to King Saul. The Israelites just... uh, finished their journey through the Red Sea, and they just coming out of Egypt, and then they started their journey through the wilderness and through the desert. And they were feeling really tired and exhausted from walking how many miles and miles, and just getting out, escaping, you know, the slavery of Egypt. And they were just coming out of that, and then they started to camp in the desert called Rephidim, and the, the, the people were starting to complain to Moses, and say, Moses, we're thirsty, we need water to drink. Is there any water here? Can the Lord provide water out of this desert? And Moses is like, sure he can. And Moses prayed, strike the staff, and the water came out of the rock. And they were able to drink and be satisfied. But what happened was this. The Amalekites attacked 
the people of God, the Israelites. They attacked. They basically just kind of like, no, no, it was completely unprovoked, kind of attacked. The, the Israelites were not even invading the space and the territory and the land of the Amalekites. The, the Israelites were tired and weak. They were in their vul- most vulnerable state physically. And yet they were being attacked by the Amalekites, killed. And so Moses, seeing this, we can't just sit here and do nothing. And so he goes, Joshua, I want you to choose the most noble and the warrior of all the Israelite people. And I want you to fight. And that's exactly what happened. And so Joshua, under the leadership of Joshua, they fought the Amalekites. And Moses was like, and I'm going to intercede. And I'm going to stand in the gap. And I'm going to pray to the Lord so that we will have victory. And so Moses climbed up to the hill and raised up his hands toward heaven and prayed. And every time, as long as Moses' hands was lifted, remember the story? As long as Moses' hands were lifted up towards heaven, the Israelite people were winning. And as soon as he gets really tired and just go like this or down, the Amalekites were winning. And so he started to rest his arms on a piece of a rock like that so that he can just continue raising it. And so then Aaron was like, Moses, you can't do that for a very long time. Let me support you. And so Aaron and her supported the hands and the hands of Moses so that he can keep it lifted up toward heaven. And as long as he did that, the people of God were winning. It's off tangent, but I look at that and I go, surely we can extract worship principles from that. Because, you know, sometimes we get tired raising up our hands, thanking the Lord for what he has done for us. And so we just go like this, the most comfortable level, so that it doesn't actually tense up your shoulder. Or others can just go like that. And I look at it and go, I'm going to preach on worship about that, but let's just go back to the passage. And so what happened was, so the Malachites attacked, and God, when, when, when the Israelite people won, and they had victory, God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to tell this victory to the people and to the next generation, and tell them this is what happened. And then God made an oath, and he said, I am going to remove and completely annihilate these people from the face of the earth. And you know what? There are no more Amalekites descendants to this day. And you go, who are these people? I did a bit more research. The Amalekites came from the tribe of Amalek. Amalek was the son of Eliphaz, who is the son of Esau. And this particular tribe were very vicious. They were evil. They have bad intent and all they want to do is to destroy the people of God. That's how evil their intent were. And when I look at that and I go, if there are no more descendants of the Amalekites, it is interesting that their virtues and characteristics still live to this day. If you look at the book of Revelation, God wants to what? Just vanish evil from this earth. He does not want to share that with the chosen people of God. And no wonder God gave this command to King Saul. Because that was the oath that he gave. And he wanted to fulfill that oath that he gave to his people. Why? Because his people was his treasured possession. Doing exactly what God is asking. So Saul went on a mission. He said, Samuel said, go. The Lord said, you go. Go on this mission and this is your job. The mission was to destroy 
And Saul disobeyed. He did not completely destroy the Amalekites. He kept their king, Agag. And he, they, the, 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 the army did not destroy completely. They kept the best cattle and the, best, the, bo- the most fat cow and the sheep and all that. And they took them and then they built an altar and offered it to the Lord as a sacrifice. Thinking that the Lord would be pleased with this fat ram. Because didn't the Bible say offer the best that blameless before the Lord? But you see, when you look at that... You might think that the best thing that you can offer to the Lord would please God. Not necessarily. Why? Because if the very best thing that you offer to the Lord is not something that He is asking you to do, and if it's not in accordance to His will, and if it's an act out of disobedience, that is not going to please the Lord. Amen? In verse 19, we can see here that disobedience is demonic. And I look at that and I go, what? That's pretty serious. Demonic. Because it's like, rebellion is like the sin of divination, according to our passage. And rebellion is the action or process of resisting authority, defiance, disobedience, insubordination, subversiveness, and resistance. And divination is communication with the deity to the purpose, for the purpose of determining the deity's knowledge, resulting in clarification of a decision or discernment of the future. And in the case of King Saul, he basically demonstrated that, in fact, even more, arrogance as well, he demonstrated. And arrogance is like the sin of idolatry in verse 23. Idolatry is image worship or divine honor paid to created object, worshiping the created rather than the creator. Why was that? You see, what happened to King Saul was that God gave a very clear instruction, this is what I want you to do. And Saul disobeyed. When he disobeyed, maybe he was thinking, oh Lord, that, that does not sit with my emotional and my psychological makeup and my psyche. I can't do that. I can't afford to see like a whole tribe completely annihilated. I can't do that. Maybe it did not sit right with him. And actually, if you continue reading the passage of scripture, there were another element that influenced King Saul to disobey God. And that was fear. From his men. What will my, what my men say? And you know sometimes fear can hold us back. Can hinder us back. From fulfilling the call and the purposes of God in our lives. To be able to obey. We're not able to do that because of fear. And that's exactly what happened to King Saul. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings curse. We can see that there were major consequences and ramifications for King Saul's disobedience. Not only that he wasn't blessed with his authority and reign and kingship, but the worst thing was God removed him from his post. God rejected him as king over Israel. You are no longer king, not fit in the sight of the Lord. That's how serious the ramification was. For his disobedience. And you might think, oh, I'm sure the Lord will forgive me. You know, you might be doing some disobedient act or behavior on a Saturday night. And, oh, tomorrow Sunday I'm going to go to church. I'm going to confess and repent. And surely the Lord will, will forgive me. Yes, the Lord will forgive you. No doubt about that. But there will be times where the consequences of your disobedience will still continue. And you still reap the consequences of your disobedience. And in the case of Saul, he did reap the consequences of his disobedience. It did not bring blessing. 
In fact, it brought curse. If you continue reading the life of King Saul, basically spiraled down quite quickly because of that. Obedience brings life. Obedience brings life. We can see there in the life of King Saul that when he disobeyed, the, the Lord rejected him. He was no longer king. Like, what, what does that bring you? What does that place to you or him? He, it might like made King Saul think, oh, who am I now? Who am I now? He's lost his identity. He's confused. He spiraled down to depression. Emotional depression. Just a spiral down. There was, there was no more life coming out of him. There was no joy coming out of him. There was no life. Why? Because of the result of his disobedience. Second principle is that obedience, not sacrifice, is the key to a life of joy. Key to a life of joy. God does not enjoy religious sacrifices. In Hebrews 10, I want to read it to you. Hebrews 10, verse 5 and 6, it says here, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. In other translations, you do not find pleasure. In other words, burnt offering and sin offering, God have no pleasure in them. And you know, it really kind of like, really just begs the question, every time we do something, every time we offer something to the Lord, it should cause us to ask ourselves the question, am I doing this in accordance to the will of God? Am I obeying the Lord? Because if it's just all religious sacrifices, that is not going to please the Lord. And surely the Lord was not pleased with King Saul's disobedience. He was not pleased at all. Verse 24 and 25, confession and repentance is necessary. King Saul realized, I have sinned. He confessed to, King, to Samuel. He said, I have sinned. Please forgive me. I have sinned. And then he just did that and confessed in verse 24 and 25. But it's almost like it was too late. God had already rejected him. Why? Because that was the consequence of his disobedience. Pretty major. When we look at other consequences of disobedience, we cannot help but look back and revisit Genesis. The disobedience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that brought about the curse of sin and death in our lives. That brought about disobedience to humanity. For those of you who who have young children, uh, no parent would teach their kids to disobey. And yet as young as one or two or three, no one's teaching them to disobey. And when you ask them to do something, they're pretty quick to say, no. Who's teaching them to say that? No one. Human nature. It's part of us. It's a very nature. One of the major effects of the disobedience in the Genesis narrative of Adam and Eve. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But we still need to confess and to repent. 
Intimacy with God fosters joy. You know, when, when you actually obey the Lord and obey His command, it enables you and, and takes you into a journey of seeking Him. Lord, what is it exactly that you want me to do? And where is it? Just like what Jess Ford was sharing, it took her about a year to just pray, consider, and think about it, whether she should go to India or not. And when you do that, when you actually go on the path of obedience, it will lead you to also a path of intimacy with God. Why? Because you want to find out what it is that God is asking you to do. And of course, finally on that point, joy brings strength, peace, hope, and comfort. Zephaniah 3.17 says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is mighty, he's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what? When you embark on the path of obedience, you will experience the joy of the Lord. You will experience not only the blessing of the Lord, but the joy of the Lord. And it is this very joy that will give you the strength that will enable you to go and do what God's asking you to do. And, and, and this joy, even when you look back and you go, wow, that was wonderful, and it brings more joy. And the joy is multiplied in our lives. The third principle, obedience, not sacrifice, is the basis of spiritual authority and leadership at church, at home, school, and work. In the case of King Saul, he basically lost his leadership and his spiritual authority over the people of God. Why? Because the Lord rejected him, removed him from the post and from authority. You see, disobeying and rejecting the will of God has serious consequences. Never think that there will be no consequences to any disobedient act. There will be consequences, whether you like it or not. You will be forgiven when you confess and repent, but you will still reap the consequences of your disobedience. Those in authority must listen to God's voice. In this case, King Saul disobeyed God. He did not listen to God's instruction. In the life of William Carey, for example, when he felt the call of God to his life, in his life, to go to India, if he did not respond I wonder what, what will happen to his life. And I'm sure the Lord will probably send someone to India, but then William Carey will miss out on the blessing. Yeah? But you see, when we obey God, there is spiritual authority that will come down upon us. That when we stand and speak, especially when you, when you speak, sharing and proclaiming the gospel, there will be spiritual authority that will come over you. In the case of, the, of Jesse's testimony tonight, uh, when she just felt the call and said, I'm going to do this this year. This year, 2018, or last year, is the year of the yes. And as soon as she did that, the Lord just directed her path. And we can see, of course, the results of that. Why? Because she listened. This morning, we were talking about the life of Amy Carmichael at the age of 10. Just feeling that prompting from the Lord to help children 
went to India and served for the last 55 years with no furlough. Can you imagine? Not going back to her home country, just serve wholeheartedly. Just out of the obedience of one person. Not just ten, not just hundreds, not just thousands, but millions of people are being affected now by the, the, as a result of one person's disobedience. The Bible is being translated into how many languages in India. And our orphanages are being organized and formed to rescue children. And just the ramifications of it just went on for centuries. Why? Just because of obedience of one person. William Carey, we're talking 17th century, and we're now 21st century, and we've just heard from Shanti tonight. The legacy of William Carey went on for generations to come. There will be no blessing in our ministries, in our homes, in our school, our life in general, if we walk in disobedience. And we can see that in the life of King Saul. And of course, a spiritual leader must be a spiritual follower. If William Carey went to India and said, Hey, I'm going to be superior Western missionary. I'm going to convert you into Western Christians. That's not his approach at all. In fact, his approach was countercultural to the mission society that sent him. And I love the, 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 the principles and, and the approaches that he took. And, and I think the fifth one really resonates with us. Train indigenous people to preach the gospel. And that's exactly why we sent a team to India. This year, there's about 120 uh, students at the Bible College. And we were teaching all of them over 100. Because the principal did not give any student uh, the opportunity to opt out in any of the classes. They were forced to be there. Even if they didn't like it. They did. They all enjoyed it. We wanted to partner 120 Bible college students because they are the ones who will go back to their villages and proclaim the gospel and start churches and be evangelists. One of my uh, uh, fifth, uh, seventh year class when I did Pauline Epistles and, and I taught Galatians, and I started off my class and I say, hey, let introduce yourself. What's your name and what do you want to do when you leave this college? And I was so inspired. Oh, my name is so-and-so, and I want to be an evangelist when I go back to my village. Oh, my name is so-and-so, and I want to be a church planter when I go back to my village. Oh, my name is so-and-so, and I want to be a youth pastor when I go back to my village. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that for God. And I was like, wow. And these students are the key. And if we continue to partner with them, to encourage them, to inspire them, Communities and villages in India will be reached. Amen. India has a population of about 1.4 billion now. It's being predicted that by the year 2030 to 2050, they will surpass the population of China. There will be more Indians than all of us put together. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Does that mean we'll be eating more curries or... Obedience enables us to be sacrificial, to be courageous, and to trust. And if you look, look, look at the lives of modern-day missionaries, William Carey, branded as the, modern day, uh, the man of modern mission, uh, Amy Carmichael, Mother Teresa, another modern-day uh, missionary, because of their obedience, they were prepared to sacrifice. Because of their obedience, they were courageous to step out. Because of their obedience, they were able to trust that God will supply and meet their needs. Amen? 
That is the result when one person obeys the Lord. My question to all of us tonight is this. I have two questions for us to reflect on. What areas of your life are you struggling to obey God? And the second question is, what is it that God is challenging you or leading you this year? And what are you going to do about it? William Carey said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. This is what I want to say to all of us. At the beginning of 2019, if you do exactly what you did last year, you won't go anywhere. Hear this. If you do exactly what you did last year, you won't go anywhere. But if you begin to expect something from the Lord that He's going to use you, that if you expect that and surrender and say, Lord, I will obey, I will listen, use me as you see fit, that is expectant, and begin to attempt great things for God, you will see that this year will be different for you. Amen? But if you don't, if you don't, you will go through the motions of life and 2019 will be finished. And you look back and go, you know what? What have I done all to myself? What have I done for the kingdom of God? What have I done so that the kingdom of God will actually expand and move forward? What have I done? And my challenge for all of us tonight is expect great things from God Attempt great things for God with an obedient heart. Let's bow our heads together. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329 Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.